Right, morning all. Um, my name's Hutch, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I'm leading uh, th th this morning's service, and we are honoured to have the, uh, the venerable Kevin Roberts from our patrons, the, Sim the Simeons Trust, who's here to preach to us this morning, but he'll introduce himself and explain his role in the church when he gets to it. Um, for a start, let's just have a moment of silence and a moment of reflection just to gather ourselves and bring ourselves into God's presence. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for bringing us safely. Father, would your spirit come on us today? Open our eyes to see your majesty. Open our eyes to see your grace, your love for us and your mighty power. Amen. We start with our first song, which is Spirit Breakout. Spirit break out 
it break out Heaven come down uh, Please have a seat Welcome everyone this morning, particularly welcome those who are watching our live stream on YouTube or Facebook. Um, the usual notices, the toilets are in the church hall, so out, take a left, and then that way. Um, we, are, we are working on doing something with the responses, but for now, please keep silent or mouth or uh, use sign language or whatever to respond, and please uh, respect social distancing after the service. So we'll now move on to our time of confession. Just have uh, a minute just to reflect over the week, over what we've done that we shouldn't have done, and what we haven't done that we should have done. And we'll now follow the words on the screen. Jesus Christ, risen master and triumphant Lord, we come to you in sorrow for our sins and confess to you our weakness and unbelief. We have lived by our own strength and not by the power of your resurrection. In your mercy, forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbor in thought and word and deed through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life. To the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon us. Pardon and deliver us from all our sins. Confirm and strengthen us in all goodness and keep us in life eternal through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Christ is our peace. He has reconciled us to God in one body by the cross. We meet in his name and share his peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you and also with you. We'll now have our second song, which is Build My Life. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, 
worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh, we live for you Holy, there is no one like you There is none beside you Open up my eyes in wonder and show of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other seat. Now move on to our time of intercessions.
Heavenly Father, thank you that you are with us wherever we are. Whether we're together, whether we're apart, whatever we're doing, you're always there. And you're always with us and you're always for us. Father, just bring before you now things that are on, on our hearts. Father, at this, this strange time, we pay, pay for those who are in public service. The ones who run towards the trouble rather than away from it. So pray for everyone involved in the health services. We pray for all the teachers. We pray for all the emergency services. That they may know your presence. They may respond to it. They may form a relationship with you. That they may know your peace. Amen. And Father, we lift before you our own parish here. Pray for everyone here today that they would have the peace of your presence, the peace that passes all understanding. In here and at home and at work and wherever they are. Father, we particularly lift up Chris. As he comes to us to, to be with us. Would your blessing rest on him, your knowledge and your wisdom. Pray also for the wardens, for the, for the PCC and the leadership team, for all the extra work that's involved at the moment. And we pray a blessing on the search for the new incumbent. Be with us, Lord. Will you lead us? Will we be responsive to your leading, to your prompting, to your voice? and not what we want. Amen. And Father, as we look further afield, we particularly look to India at the moment. We particularly look for the persecuted church there. Lord, we gather that things have got better during the time of coronavirus, but as it's fading, Lord, the persecution is, is ramping up again. So we pray for your people out there. Father, we pray that persecution would lift, that they would be able to speak and act freely. And Father, we also pray for those who've been affected by the coronavirus over there without the advantages of the health service that we have in, in the United Kingdom. Father, there have been some terrible losses. Will you be with them? Will your grace be on them? Will your understanding be on them? Amen. And we'll close with a collect for today. Almighty God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Pour your love into our hearts and draw us to yourself. And so bring us at last to your heavenly city, where we shall see you face to face. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and, remains, and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 33 to 45. If you want to look that up on your personal Bible or, can, or um, device... 
Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved it to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take the in his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the, those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Kevin will now come and deliver our talk. Thank you very much uh, indeed. Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see uh, some of you, at least from the nose uh, upwards, and uh, great that we're also joined with those who are watching the service virtually um, in their, their homes. Hope you feel a part of our worship uh, this morning. Uh, just to explain, I'm, uh, Kevin Roberts is my name. I'm here as a Simeon trustee, in fact, the Simeon trustee for the West Midlands. Um, and Simeon trustees have for many years been the patron of the living of St. Matthew's uh, Tipton, um, and we therefore play a role alongside your parish representatives and the bishop in the appointment of your next incumbent. Um, so I thought, well, if I've got a, a part to play in that, then I ought to come and join you in worship occasionally and get to know you uh, so that I can kind of tune in to the kind of person that is needed uh, here. So that's the capacity that I'm here in. My day job, actually... Um, is National Director of an organisation called Resource for Anglican Renewal Ministries. Uh, we work for Holy Spirit Renewal in uh, smaller and mid-sized churches, um, which is a great delight for me to be uh, ministering in that, in that capacity. Uh, but this morning we're looking at the passage that Hutch has just read to us. Perhaps you've got that in front of you from Matthew chapter 21. I think it's the lectionary uh, reading uh, for today. So as we come to it, the parable of the tenants, not the parable of the talents, the parable of the tenants, shall we pray? Father, thank you very much for uh, your word. Thank you that it's living and active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. 
And thank you that it is continually relevant to us in all the circumstances of our lives and the life of our church. So, Father, will you speak uh, this morning, both through and beyond the words of a preacher. May we hear the word of God uh, and receive it into our lives and find from your Holy Spirit the power to live the life that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this is a, a challenging passage uh, that I've been given to, uh, to preach on this morning. I think challenging particularly uh, working out what, uh, how this passage might relate to us in 2020 when quite clearly it was written into a very specific context in the first century uh, as Jesus spoke these words 2,000 years ago. Um, some parables are easily transferable from 2,000 years ago to today. Others, we have to work a little bit more at making that connection. Um, and this parable, I think, is in the latter category. So it was spoken into, initially by Jesus into a very specific context. He had a specific group of people in mind as he spoke it, uh, the religious leaders of his day. Um, and they were standing there listening to his words, and they knew that Jesus was speaking to them, verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They knew exactly that they were being spoken to, um, and they didn't take it kindly. They looked for a way to arrest him. And Jesus, as he is addressing the, uh, the, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees, is critiquing their uh, actions over the centuries. This is like a, a kind of mini summary of the whole drama of God's salvation in the old covenant. Uh, they'd killed successive prophets, verse 35. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. No wonder they didn't like what he had to say. He was being directly critical of them. And then in this first century context, he then begins to look forward to his own death. That just as the people of Israel had killed successive prophets, so his death uh, as the son of the landowner, uh, the, land, the master's son, would uh, very soon follow this uh, 37. Last of all, he sent, that's the landowner, sent his son to them. They'll respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. This is a very direct allusion to his own coming to Israel and the death that he knew he would as the son actually experience in some few uh, months' time. And then he points beyond that to uh, these tenants are going to be thrown out of the vineyard, and he predicts that day when new tenants will be allowed to take occupancy of the vineyard. So it's a direct allusion to the inclusion of the Gentiles into the people of God. Verse 40, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He'll bring those wretches to a wretched end, 
they replied, and he'll rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest uh, time. Uh, So that's in the briefest summary, (laughs) a kind of clear statement, I think, that Jesus was addressing these words into a very specific context and to a very specific group of people 2,000 years ago. So the question is, do they still speak today? Or indeed, what may God speak to us through the words of this parable uh, to us today? What might it say to us individually? What might this parable say to us as God's people, as the church in its generality? What might he say to you at St. Matthew's Tipton um, in a particular moment in uh, the story of God's work amongst you, a vacancy? Um, Indeed, what might this parable say to us as we all in the church and in the wider world uh, struggle with all the difficulties of the pandemic? Uh, and I've lived with that question, really, through the last uh, few days. And, uh, and, and there's so much that's being downloaded to me, much more than I can, I can kind of summarize in a few minutes now. But just these three things. I wonder if the parable reminds us, firstly, of God's generosity to us, even in straitened circumstances. Uh, secondly, does it tell us that we, too, are stewards of things that don't belong to us? And thirdly, does the parable speak about our accountability to the divine owner of our lives, the divine owner of uh, the vineyard? Uh, So firstly, I think the parable reminds us that God is a generous God. And the trouble with this coronavirus time is that nobody can shout amen or alleluia in a way that uh, I can hear. But this parable speaks to us of the generosity of our God. And I take that from the very beginning of the parable, at the beginning of uh, verse 33, um, which says this, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some uh, farmers. Uh, I've got three kids. They've all been privileged to go off to college at various times in their lives. Uh, And I've despaired at some of the accommodation (laughs) that they've rented in student cities around the country. (laughs) Uh, And sometimes I've been a bit cross because I've been paying for it as the parent, not my children. But the mould on the walls, the state of the toilets, all the rest of it. um, uh, Accommodation not in the best of of condition for new tenants. But in this parable, the landowner hands over a new vineyard, because he's just planted it, we're told, in immaculate condition, and everything is prepared. There are walls there as boundaries. There's a wine press ready for the fruit of the vine. There's a watchtower to keep an eye on intruders. Uh, This verse is actually more or less a verbatim quote from Isaiah chapter 5, which is all about the people of Israel as a vineyard. Um, And it says in Isaiah uh, 5, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? The vineyard entrusted to the people of Israel wasn't like the kind of accommodation given to my student children. 
Uh, what more could the owner have given? Uh, this is as good, this vineyard, with its walls, with its wine press, with its watchtower, uh, all the newness of the new vineyard, this is as good as it gets. And friends, God, let me just remind you, if you need reminding, that God gives to us as good as it gets. And he gives to us with immense generosity. Uh, walls and wine presses <laughs> and watchtowers, newness. He gives us a world to live in, which for all its coronaviruses and all its fragility and all its, the imperfections from the fall, is still, as Gerald Manley Hopkins puts it in his great poem, charged with the grandeur of God. We live in a world that's charged with the grandeur of God. He's given us a salvation in Christ, which is deep and wide and eternal. Uh, I'm heading towards retirement in the next, I guess, year or, or so. Um, and just beginning to realize that this little bit of the salvation journey, you know, is nearing its end. But ahead is an eternal journey. Uh, and all of that is the gift to us of a generous and serving God. That we live now, even, this side of our eternal home, a life as the children of God. And 1 John chapter 3, uh, John says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. And as children of God, he gives to us his Holy Spirit, the third divine person of the Holy Trinity, God himself, to come and take occupancy within our lives and within our churches, how much more generous could God be than to give us all of that? And I touch really on the surface of the immensity and the generosity of all that God has bestowed upon us. And of course we knew that, but I just need reminding sometimes that that is the nature of our God. He's a God of walls and watchtowers and wine presses not a God of, of measly, tiny uh, uh, dispensation. He's a God who gives to us more than we could possibly imagine. And maybe the specific message to us in 2020, surrounded as we are with the, uh, afflicted as we are with the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic, is to remind us, to remind myself, that God's generosity doesn't stop because we're in difficult circumstances. That God has not ceased to be generous in straightened circumstances. I often have the chance to go to Africa and delight to meet with my African sisters and brothers. And I'm always humbled when I go to certain circumstances in African contexts of how blessed people can feel though they have so little. And if we're not careful, all our talk during the pandemic, and I've done it myself, can be about what we don't have and what we can't do and where we can't go. Have you done it? And we start to grumble a little bit, don't we? <laughs> Grumbling is a feature of God's pe people, and it has been from the 
wilderness journey onwards. Um, Friends, I just want to remind you that though there are things we can't do, there are things we can do. Though there are places that we can't go, there are places that we can go. Though there are people that we can't speak to, there are people who we can speak to. And I just wonder if we need a bit of a a shift in our perspective. That God is still being generous. He's still pouring out goodness upon us. There are still walls and wall presses and, uh, sorry, wine presses and watchtowers. Um, They're still available to us. And we as God's people need to be at the very forefront of those who point still to the generosity and the goodness of God. I've noticed more about the area in which I live. I've communicated more deeply with the neighbours who live immediately around me during these coronavirus months than ever in the years before that. So I can grumble about what I don't, can't do, but just maybe we need to alight on the things that we can do and delight in them. I'm just nearing the end of this book called Sacred Fire uh, by a Roman Catholic um, spiritual writer called Roland, Ro- Ronald Rollheiser. I've never read him before, but at one point he says uh, this, in this in this book. He said, God, as we see in both nature and in Scripture, is over-generous, over-lavish, over-extravagant, over-prodigious, over-rich, and over-patient. If nature, scripture, and experience are to be believed, God is the absolute antithesis, the very opposite of everything that is stingy, miserly, frugal, narrowly calculating, or sparing in what it doles out. God, he says, is prodigal. Dictionaries define prodigal as wastefully extravagant and lavishly abundant. What kind of God are you living with? I hope it's a God who you recognize is wastefully extravagant and lavishly abundant, even in straightened uh, circumstances. So that's the first thing I think does translate from this parable into the 20th, uh, 21st uh, century. But then secondly, this thought that we too, like the tenants in that parable, are stewards of things that don't belong to us. That we are stewards of things that don't belong to us. The tenants were just that. They were tenants in the vineyard. They didn't own any of the infrastructure, the walls, the wine press, the watchtower, uh, the, 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 the fruit of the vine, any of that. It all belonged to the landowner who had put it temporarily into their care. And it's so easy, again, I I do this, you know, I need to watch myself here, as I think we all do, to slip into talking about my life and my home and my money and even, dare I say it, my church. You had to watch it when I was an archdeacon a few years ago when people started talking to me about my church because you got a little lecture. (laughs) And it said something like this, this is not your church. (laughs) You may go to it, you may be on the PCC, 
You may have been there for 50 years, but it's not your church. It is the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is his church. And do we not need not to remember when we can so easily speak about what belongs to us that actually nothing belongs to us? Is that right? Give me a nod. Nothing. <laughs> nothing belongs to us to the, to the, in the sense that we own it. It is ours. Psalm 24 and verse 1, the earth is the, the Lord's and everything in it. <laughs> It all belongs to him. And we are tenants of what belongs to him. We're not owners. We are not proprietors. So as created beings, Psalm 100, it is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. As the saved people of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Romans 14 and verse 8. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We're his possession. Our bodies belong to him as temples of the Holy Spirit. Dare I say it, our money, and our, if we have any, and our material possessions such as we have belong to him. Remember King David, as the gifts were being given for the building of the temple that Solomon, his son, would build, in that great moment, as people gave and gave and gave, in his prayer of gathering and offering, he said, everything in heaven and on earth, Lord, is yours. And we say that, don't we, in our offertory prayer, when we're able to break bread together, and we say something like this, of your own do we give you. We're just giving you back what actually belongs to you. And the church belongs to him. As I've said already, it's his church of, what Jesus, of which Jesus is the head. And so we are the tenants. As in the parable, we're the tenants. So our calling is to steward well the things that belong to God, that he has given to us to be custodians of for some little while. So woe betide us if we start saying it's ours. Woe betide that little word, my, attached to anything. We're called to steward, to handle well that which belongs to him, to handle well the creation in our care for the environment, to handle well our work and our areas of influence, to handle well our homes, our material things, our money, to take good care of our bodies, to use our time well. And our church, as I keep on repeating, is always God's church. So do you know in the appointment process, we're just called to be good stewards. We're not to look for our choice of new vicar. Of course, we'll use our best rational capacities. But ultimately, we will be tenants in the church of God. And the process, bishop and parish representatives and patrons together, is to submit ourselves to the wishes of the Lord of the church and as good tenants 
to discern the person who the landowner, the owner of the church, the master of the church, has chosen to be vicar here in the future. And I need to be careful here. I don't go off on a long diversion. But I do think these are times of great opportunity for the church. I'm coming to the end of my stipendary years of ministry. I hope I've got a few more years of ministry in some shape or form. Um, But after all those years, I would have said something like this. We need our world to change to be more receptive to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we need our church to change to be a more effective vehicle for the communication of the gospel of Jesus. And so this time is an absolute gift to us because the world is changing and we are changing. So again, woe betide us in the church if we think that we're owners of the church rather than tenants. Woe betide us if we think, well, I'm only having the change in the church that I'm comfortable with, that I want. Uh, I'm going to take control of what the church will look like. I don't think any of us know what the church is going to look like in the years to come. But it will look different. But if that's what the owner of the vineyard is building, if that's his divine purpose in the years and the decades that are to come, then we must act as tenants, not as proprietors of the church, and be flexible and malleable and welcoming to all that he would do. I'm going on far too long. You'll shut me up or they'll switch the camera off or something. But the parable reminds us of the generosity of God. It reminds us that we are stewards only of what belongs to him and not to us. And thirdly and finally, I think we're reminded from the parable that just as the tenants were accountable to the landowner, so we are accountable to the Lord of life and to the Lord of the church. We're ultimately accountable because there will be a day when we're called to give an account of how we've lived our lives and how we've exercised the responsibilities that have been entrusted to us within the life of the church. Thank God it's not going to be a fearful day of judgment for us (laughs) because we're saved, we're ransomed, we're redeemed. But the Lord, you know, and I imagine it like this, will sit us down. And he'll say, Kevin, why did you do that when you were vicar of Mealbrace? You know, was that the right thing to do? Um, and when you were handling that vacancy, did you, did you really listen to me? Because I'm not sure you did. There will be a day on which we give account of everything that has been entrusted to us. But is there not also a daily accountability not just an ultimate accountability, but a daily accountability as we work in the vineyard, knowing that the landowner sees moment by moment what we're doing. We can't live as if he doesn't know what's going on in our minds or live as if he doesn't see the actions that we take, as if we can somehow live in the shadows and be hidden from him. No, he sees the whole lot. And you know, I think accountability simply means that we do everything for the master of the vineyard. We do everything with him in 
our sight. I keep the Lord always before me, says King David in one of the Psalms. And accountability means everything we have is from him and everything that we do is for him. There's that even a little amen underneath your, underneath your mask on that one. Everything comes from him and everything we do is for him. And so in the life of the church, now drawing to a close, everything is for him. Everything is for him. Our worship is for him. The councils of our church meetings and decision-making is for him. Which may mean laying down what we want. It may and almost certainly will mean a bending of our wills and our wishes and our preferences to what he wants, because we're doing it for him. We're doing it for his pleasure, not for our own. For his affirmation, not the affirmation of somebody in the pew behind us. We're doing it to please God, not to please the vicar, the bishop, or the patron. We're doing it so that we're joining in his mission in the world. It's all from him, and it's all for him. And I'll just finish with this little thought, that that's the best place to be. That in his service is perfect freedom. It's as we bend our own wills, accountable to the master, living for him rather than for ourselves or for a lesser affirmation, that we find not only that the vineyard is fruitful, but it's also fun. Where's the fun gone in the church? It's, it, 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 it's fulfilling. I'm meeting far too many people who are enjoying the fact that, or were enjoying the fact that churches were closed. It's an awful indictment. I'm meeting them all over the place, people who've had an excuse not to have to go to church. Perhaps you find that strange. But is that because we've lost the fun, we've lost the fulfillment, and we've lost the adventure? But the adventure is as we live under the lordship of the one who will take us by the hand and lead us into his adventurous, exciting mission in the world. I think the parable still speaks today, do you agree? (laughs) Reminding us of God's generosity to us, even in straitened times. Reminding us that we're stewards, not owners, of the astonishing things that God puts into our care. And reminding us that we're to live and work and worship for him, (laughs) the landowner, the Lord, the master to whom we're called to give an account and in whose service is the greatest adventure and the most perfect freedom. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. If you'd now like to stand, we'll sing our final song.
So as we come to an end, as we come to an end of this morning's service, as we prepare to go out and meet this strange altered world again, let's remember God's generosity that is wastefully extravagant. Even in difficult times, let's look for that. That as we go forward, we're, we're his stewards. Everything in heaven and earth is God's and it's ours to take care of, but also that we're accountable. So all from him and all for him. And now the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen.